Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. We're joined today with our buddy, John Avid, who's, who's returning for a third guest spot on the show. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things that we've got in store. Welcome, John. Thanks, guys. It's good to be back. Welcome back again. But I guess the it, it's more than just a welcome. I, I guess the big announcement is that he's going to be a, a third host with us. We've enjoyed his company so much and his conversation back and forth on leadership that we decided to just make him part of the team. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's exciting. If you didn't know, now so. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiate my starting salary and... <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it's going to be a quick negotiation. Consider me an NCAA football player. I'll definitely approve <laughs> of your choice of hairstyle. Thank you. It's low maintenance and I feel like it really keeps me streamlined, which is what we're all about here. I know. My hair's too long now for this show. It needs to be shorter, I feel, but. You don't know right. I'll, I'll hook you up with the trimmers. I've been cutting my own hair for years. Like, you just get clippers out and just buzz it. And I even trim the back. You just get the first 10 haircuts or so are bad. But after that, there you figure it out with the mirror and doing it backwards. That's why I go to zero. There's no edging. It's just either there or it's not. I've often found that the first step in leadership is a good self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and with that comes the ability to self-groom. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Like you, I am my own barber as well. <laughs> well it's funny, I was balding anyway. And like I had, I didn't have a full-on comb over where like I had hair that was this long that I, but I was clearly parting my hair to cover it up. And I was, one day I just looked at myself here, you know what I mean? What are you holding on? This is, just get rid of it all. Let's go look better than this one. And yeah. Just never looks back. Now I look at some of those pictures from that like marginal time. And like, Ooh, you were really holding on to something that wasn't there, fellas. <laughs> there you so you're trying to say you would tell yourself if you saw yourself then to just cut it, and get it over. Yeah, with. I think I cut it like pretty early compared to some folks you see out there. I think I was on the better end of that spectrum, but there were probably six or seven months in there where I should just let it go. <laughs> John, I'm telling you, self awareness it's critical. <laughs> As my sweet, uh, you know, departed grandmother used to say that the good Lord gave some people great hair, he gave the rest of you nicely shaped heads. <laughs> she was rather self-aware so. So John, since we're bringing you on the show full-time, as one of the co-hosts, we're excited about that, but I know you've been on a couple times before, but we might have listeners who haven't heard any of the past episodes. So why don't, why don't you just do a quick rundown? of yourself and some of your leadership experience and what makes you you? Well, I started balding at an early age. No, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I worked probably mostly in my life in the public sector, started in the Marine Corps at a relatively young age as a 17 year old recruit. Marine Corps are just recently parted ways with the Marine Corps after about 15 years, give or take some months. We'll see if I ever jump back in and finish for my 20, but for now I've decided to put that part of my life in, in a different box. I worked at a variety of federal agencies at a variety of letters from Justice Department, Veterans Affairs, Commerce Department. I'll leave out any of the specifics just in case I say anything stupid on here, but I uh, <laughs> don't want that pointed back to anywhere I've worked, but <laughs> I've had an opportunity to work at a lot of levels and a lot of different organizations. I've dipped my toes into the private sector in the food and beverage supply industry for a little while, which was a really interesting move 
as we didn't know the pandemic was coming and that interested or turned into some really interesting challenges for that industry that I was, I'd be happy to never have to live through again, but I'm, I'm glad I did as far as experience and lessons learned. And that's about it. I have a master's degree in management and leadership from a university here in DC. My undergraduate was in history and political science, which I think gives an interesting perspective, be able to read and analyze where we've been and, and what that means about where we are. Uh, I try to apply those lessons to, to leadership whenever I can. But right now the field I'm in most specifically is communications. So I work in strategic communications at a federal agency, as I mentioned, managing a small but growing team of communicators. We do everything from internal communications to press, to helping the agency leadership with speech writing and really dialing in what our message is that we'd like to get out to the public uh, and how we'd like to do that. And I certainly don't do that alone. I, I work forward with a number of people that, that helped me do that effectively. I think that's kind of John in a nutshell from a um, professional standpoint. We can get any into my, into any of my weird idiosyncrasies of my personal life as we go. That's a relatively open book as well. So. There was one highlight that I noticed you skipped over, which is this little thing that we all got to do together a couple of years ago called UpPath, which was yeah. our first foray into uh, really designing a leadership program that we could conduct in a sort of seminar kind of format and ironically right about the time that we were talking about how do we you know do this long term in a way that's able to reach a broader audience and potentially do something that's more of a remote learning kind of structure along came the pandemic <laughs> and sort of proved the point of what we were talking about right yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah, how dare I leave that out? I apologize. <laughs> no, and that, that was such a cool experience. And uh, so go ahead and talk about that. I'm going to pull up some photos because I've, I've actually got photos of that. Oh, my goodness. Um, when you're talking. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Those are jeans and sport coats and black t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Talk about it. I'm uh, going to pull up some I photos felt, here. I felt very Silicon Valley in that day. No, it was really cool. And, and you're right. And, and that is personally a highlight. That was my foray. That whole project was my first foray into entrepreneurship, really work with a small team to really build something independent of any other industry or company. So that was really exciting for me. We had an awesome group out there in Colorado of young, mostly young and young in the career sense, early on their leadership journey, I guess what I would say, not necessarily uh, in the temporal sense, but it was really awesome engaging with these people who, who were just starting down their leadership path and being able to share some of our experiences through an experiential program for them in person. We had about 20 or 25 folks, I think, show up. There's Brian teaching how to run your team. It's awesome. It's really a great day. And I'm hoping we can get back to doing some stuff like that here in the near future. Cause I know I personally benefited from the program. More importantly, I think some of the feedback we got from the participants sharing that they really gained some insight and were excited about their leadership journeys themselves. That really fired me up about it. Yeah, Brian, I don't know why I have so many pictures of you, but... I was just going to say, I'm waiting for some selfies, Nick. Yeah, and there's Brian Kane right there teaching this mm -hmm. lesson. And, and there's the Upath shirt, right? The More full mine. frame there. There we are. Look at that. I love it. <laughs> Very Silicon Valley, man. Yeah. <laughs> but the crazy thing about that is we did that with the idea to launch this product and then the pandemic hit and we just had to hit the brakes on everything. It's It's... Very cool experience. We all had a lot of fun doing it in Denver. And there you are, John, doing your thing. 
Look at that. See, but you got boots on. You don't have all birds on, so you're not That's quite true. valley all the way. I'm right? in Colorado. I felt like I had to have boots on. Yeah, you could have wear a flannel too, since we're in Colorado, right? <laughs> I'll wear that for the next episode. And then, so here we've got pictures of that exercise that you did. And I thought that was a really cool exercise that you put every through where, where you started a group and mm -hmm. one thing, and then you made everybody switch and it threw everybody off as they were working. Yeah, it was fun. So this exercise was based on something that actually started as a communications thing. I read some article somewhere and probably ripped off the idea because <laughs> there are so few truly unique new ideas in the world, but really honing down, we talk about strategic plans and strategic messaging and this, that, the other thing, and you end up with these 20 page documents and your company has 20 values and, and all that stuff. And nobody can remember it. It's, it's hard to digest. This article was making the argument for, you know, hammer it down to three or four things that people can remember. So I started thinking about that for uh, my own work in internal communications, trying to sell good internal comms to agency leadership. I could walk in them with a long strategic plan all day, but none of them are going to read it. None of them are communicators. And they frankly have more important things to do for their specific job, which is why they have a communications department. So I said, what are three or four things that make a lot of sense that any executive down to individual contributor can understand? and implement daily. And, and for me, for communications, that was increased clarity, reduce noise, build trust and save people time. If your communication product can do that, or at least two or three of those things, every single time, you're probably moving in the right direction. Uh, and I think we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast previously. After implementing that as a communication strategy for a while, I, I got to thinking this really is just a leadership and management principle too. So if I'm increasing clarity with my team, they, they know what's expected. If I'm reducing the noise, if I'm cutting through all the other static and craziness that's going on and, and really helping them focus on what's possible for them and removing barriers for them to be successful, that's the job of a leader in a lot of ways. Increase clarity, reduce noise, building trust. If you're not building trust with your team and your actions and words, your positional authority will only get you so far. You want people doing things because they want to do them because they trust you, they trust your leadership, they trust the strategic direction, not because they have to or not because they're scared of losing their job. Um, that's when you really get your effectiveness. And then all those things together save people time. We're cutting to the chase. We're getting done what needs to be done. We're getting rid of all that stuff that's really just ancillary and not driving towards our mission. I mean, the interesting thing about save time to me is there's like a psychological aspect to it too. If you're increasing clarity, reducing noise and building trust, people are spending a lot less time worrying about all those other things because it's clear and they know what's going on and they trust their leader. So I'm not wasting time worried about, oh, am I doing a good job? Or is this really what I'm supposed to be working on? Or does my boss really like me? Or does my team really like me? If you're building an atmosphere with those first three elements, you're inevitably saving psychological time for people as well as in, in the very liberal sense of getting things done. Anyway, that's the kind of deeper explanation of those four pillars of leadership that I try to ascribe to. I, I often fall short as, as we all do, but that turned into that exercise where we asked the participants, we broke them up in small teams. Okay, you tell me what increasing clarity means to you. You tell me what reducing noise means to you. We pick a leader for each team and they let the discussion. And then after the first one, we ask them all to move on to the next one. And, okay, what do you see here? What would you change? What would you add? I mean, by the end of it, we had one statement for each of those that was built by this larger group. Um, and then we used that to, to springboard in some other discussions. So it was a really fun exercise. I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed seeing people stepping up to lead. And the conversation was a lot of fun. Watch people get really animated. Argue it out. I enjoyed it. 
yeah, it, it was a fun exercise. I, and what I really liked about what you did about it is because it's adult education. The last thing we want to do is for those of who went to college or done some type of corporate training, the last thing you want to do is stand there, sit there while someone just reads PowerPoint slides to you. <laughs> and you did your presentation, what, like five minutes and it was into, Hey, we're going into this. Yep. And then you instantly had people up and talking and, and moving. And I think that's so important in adult education of some point is you got to get people interacting and moving with each other or else it just floats off into nowhere. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think a lot of times the, when you do an activity like that, you realize the answers are within the group. You don't need the book. You don't need slides. And that was one of my takeaways from going to grad school. There was nothing content wise in grad school. I couldn't have found online or books. I couldn't have bought. It was having those conversations with a cohort with other people's experiences and and, and learning from each other. That was where the real value lies. I think we, we all did a good job of trying to do that with, with all of our exercises. I think every one of us had a kind of experiential part of our program. I know Nick, you did some negotiation stuff with the team. That yeah. was fun to watch, watching people negotiate. Brian, <laughs> you gave people this scenario where we have to right size this team and, and move people around the personnel board. And then uh, Brian K had his design type thing, build a product together. Overall, it was a really cool experiential day, I think for everybody. So. You should probably yeah, did. you guys did that day too, running my mouth about my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was, you spoke to it well, and certainly your approach with your own strategy around communication, I think is it's, it, it does carry over into some of the most critical areas. Communication is key, regardless of where you fall in the leadership chain. And certainly trust has been. I think a key theme for all of us in a variety of our own professional relationships. You spoke well to it. And part of what I wanted to add on, uh, particularly to uh, Nick's comments about instructional design for adult learning, we recognized that different people have different leader or different learning styles. And I, I felt pretty good about how we tried to bake in uh, a lot of those different approaches. We, we had plenty of the visual, we had textual, we had experiential, all of those elements were put into each of the four tracks and, and we gave plenty of breathing room too, because you can't just hammer it hard all day. I know some leaders love to talk about the importance of the grind mm -hmm. and the grind has its place, but there needs to be some flex in there. Also, you can't just keep going back to dish out more and more. You gotta keep <laughs> hustling, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I heard I heard Terry Gross interviewing Questlove the other day, and and she said something to the effect of, "If there isn't some flex time, that's built in as well." Sure, I agree. We talk so, about we just uh, can't keep grinding all all day long, or or what, hustle culture is that what it's called? When things work out the way that you expect them to, that's when you're a visionary. When they don't, that's when you're a hustler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I like that. Because we know as well in entrepreneurship, like uh, sometimes stuff just doesn't work out. Look at everything we do with UpPath. We thought <laughs> it was going to go gangbusters. We did our one test event and we're like, okay, let's slot one of these up or two of these up for 2020. And lo and behold, 2020 became what it was. Like, I don't think we need to describe that, but it is what it yes. is. That's what happened. 2020 had different think, ideas in store. <laughs> yeah, I still think there's value there to pursue it some more. There's definitely people there looking for the education. And mm -hmm. we saw that when we did our testing. Some some of the people came from larger tech firms who were like, hey, this is something exactly like we were looking for. So we're just sending our people here to explore, to see what's going on. So I think it's important to just 
like I said, test stuff sometimes, see what sticks to the wall. And when it doesn't work, you're hustling, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we're all hustlers until we become visionaries. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that overnight success always takes 10 years kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was Kevin Hart instantly says it, it took him 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. John Acuff in his book, Start, talks about the importance of having a hustle. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's about an energy, quality of energy in as much as it is, what is it that you're trying to prop up on the side of whatever your, your quote unquote real gig is, Yeah. right? A, a side hustle. It's uh, where are you driving your passion? How are you channeling that energy? And those things become self-motivators. Uh, and I think we, we all know that hand in glove with leadership characteristics comes the importance of having enough motivation that you can be a self-starter, mm -hmm. right? That you can continue to be a life learner, all of those things so that you can cultivate those passions. I think yeah. you bring up a good point, Brian. Like, so the idea of side hustle, right? And we've gone through the pandemic and this, what, whatever they're calling the, uh, huge resignation, right? Where people are resigning from their jobs and moving on to new ones. And this idea of a side hustle as a leader, what are both of your thoughts on having an employee who has a side hustle? I know there's times where it's probably not okay, where you're like, you're in the same industry, poaching clients from your current work, but what are your, each of your thoughts on an employee or someone you're leading having a side hustle. I'd be curious what your takes are on that. Yeah, I think first, just one quick comment while we talk about hustle in, in the broader sense and Brian brought the book start, which I haven't read yet, but what you described of it is rings true for sure is that I, it sounds like you were talking about channeling that energy. Yeah. Sure. You can hustle you can grind all day, but are you grinding on 70 different things? Or have you really clarified what it is that you want to hustle towards? Um, and I think that's where a lot of this, I'll sleep when I'm dead. We were joking about Silicon Valley, but that's where I hear it referenced a lot. You just work all the time, blah, 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 do a million things. It's, it's not really a useful use of anybody's energy. So you gotta decide for yourself what it is that maybe it's a short-term goal, right? Maybe it's just, maybe your first goal is just to figure out what the heck it is you want to aim at. And then, okay, next step. So you can make small adjustments towards a bigger aim. You don't have to figure out the whole end product. But to the extent possible, begin with the end in mind, either of that end is a short-term goal. So that's my first comment on hustling. As far as employees having a side hustle, to me, I don't have a problem with it. As a manager, as a leader, I'm, I'm the If you're available when needed, within reason, and a normal work day, and you're getting the job done, I don't, I have to sign timesheets and, and they have to read 40 hours a week and 80 hours every two weeks and et cetera. But functionally speaking. If it helps you to take a 20 minute walk with your dog in the morning and answer emails afterwards, and if that gets the job done, I'm not going to be nitpicking every minute of your day. So as long as the quality and quantity of work isn't suffering and you're pursuing passions on the side, that's great. As a Marine Corps reservist all these years, I had a mandatory side hustle for, <laughs> you know, more than a decade. Um, I liked to see it as that, yeah, sometimes these things interfered with each other, but that's just a challenge on the individual to make sure you're managing your, yourself appropriately with and the time that you have. But I also felt that being good at one made me better at the other. I wasn't Marine Corps all day, all the time. So I learned some other things from these other places I worked with, these other people I interact with, and we could bring those ideas to the Marine Corps. Alternatively, I discipline and, and hard work and some innovative stuff that I learned in the Marine Corps and some ways I view the world that I wouldn't have otherwise. I was able to bring that to my private work and I still do today. So 
I think that can be true of any endeavor, as long as you're keeping them separated enough in your mind to, to know when you really need to focus on, or maybe your primary responsibility and when you need to put some other stuff off to the side. And, and if that side hustle is, is starting to interfere with your daily work, then you got to make the value go to me. Can I live my life on my side hustle at this point and get rid of this other piece? Or do I need to really refocus on what I'm doing and, and maybe dial back on this other thing? So it's all about balance to me. And I guess the final point I'll make is that when you accept a job and somebody's paying you for your time, you have an obligation, in my opinion, to, to make sure that you're doing what's required of you in that role and not taking advantage of that person. That doesn't mean you don't have flexibility. That doesn't mean you can't pursue other passions. But if you're getting to the point where your quote unquote primary gig is suffering and you're not doing it the justice that they deserve from you, then it's time to really reevaluate where you are. But I've seen some of these stories of people in this, this virtual age working two full-time jobs and being on two Zoom calls at one time. And I think that's probably pretty clearly overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> Godspeed to the people that can manage that. That's pretty great. Yeah, I think that's in my mind. Those are my yeah, thoughts. Sure awesome. Anyone really can manage that. I think oh. there's a lot of people who have been bought into this concept of multitasking in years past. and I think it's pretty much proven itself as uh, not being something that we're mentally uh, equipped to be able to do, at least not to do effectively. It's, it's more like giving less than half effort to every activity that you're involved in. I, I go back to communication and I think it's, it's critical because the more transparent you are about what your own personal needs are, the more you're able, going to be able to deliver the best of who you can be for any organization that you're involved in. For many years, I've had either this podcast or, of course, I produce a radio program as well. I've had a board membership for many years that, that I'm also very passionate about and committed to. And that's just always been something that I've clearly communicated up through my own reporting structure so that they're aware that those things are important to me and there will be demands on my time during normal working hours. And that's just going to be part of the requirement that I have in, in my own work agreements to make sure that I've got that uh, availability and flex for myself. So I think as, as you continue to be you know, true to yourself, but also true to your word and communicate clearly what your needs are, those are the kinds of things that then do help build trust, right? Within your team structure or within your reporting structure. And it also, I, help, I think, helps earn some respect because you're standing your ground on some of the things that are critical to you. And having employment doesn't, it's, it's not analogous to indentured servitude as much as many people, I think, have that perspective of it. So it's the kind of thing where I think it's important to be able to carve out availability for yourself and whatever it is that you're doing. If you don't have time to mentally reset and physically refresh, then you're not going to be delivering the best of what you can offer within your own employment structure or your own reporting structure. Brian, I'm interested what Nick has to say on the topic too, but real quick, you mentioned that this is something when you, this is something you need to make clear up front that there's going to be other demands in your time with your leadership structure and whatever your quote unquote primary gig might be. How do you communicate that going into a job interview? How do you prove that you're of enough value that yeah, we have two candidates that maybe all things being equal, we could hire each of them, but this Brian guy says he runs a podcast and is on board and two days a week, he's going to need an extra hour flexibility during the day. I don't know that that's the exact situation, obviously. Sure, sure. 
make that sale, maybe going into a new experience or a new employer? Yeah, I think there's a couple of facets to it, right? The first is uh, using my own personal examples. I think those things demonstrate the quality of thinking and quality of commitment of who the individual is. So for, for an example with the podcast, there's a, a, a personal brand that is of value that comes from participating in these activities. And, and so if you're in a relationship oriented business, as most of us are, <laughs> you don't have to be in sales in order to have relationships as a primary function of the work that you do. But when, you know, you're working to forge greater professional relationships within your own network, having those types of activities as something that people know about you, number one, it, it demonstrates that you're actually a, a real person with real interests outside of this one sort of siloed perspective where most people may recognize the value that you can deliver to them. But it also helps extend some awareness of your own personal brand. And there might be some things that are a reflection of some of your own ethical choices because of some of the things that you choose to engage in publicly. I sit on a board, you know, for an organization uh, that helps families work with foster children. It's an area that's important to me and I'm passionate about. It's something that consequently I've had a lot of people reach out to me through my network specifically for that. They're not necessarily as interested in my professional work as they are in some of this other work uh, that I do on a volunteer basis. And then with the podcast here, we've got something where we are contributing openly and freely to the quality of thinking and leadership performance of other people who know differently than ourselves are wrestling with very similar challenges, asking very similar questions, looking, you know, for other resources to help augment their own style, their own approach, their own awareness of things that they might be able to put into their own quiver. So that's what I have to say about that, John. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You gave him an ultimatum there, huh? <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, so to get back to John's uh, question there so I can answer my own question, I'm on board with both of you. I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, there's lines that need to be drawn. Like you said, if you have your primary job and employer that pays you, there's an expectation that work's going to get done. As long as there's no suffering on that end, I think it's a great thing, right? It gives an employee a creative outlet. They can learn different skills that you might not have time or resources to pay them to do. And like you said, benefits can come out of it, like the personal branding, like Brian was just talking about. We have a whole podcast on leadership. I don't know how many hours there are of me talking, but you can literally find out what all my ideas and beliefs are on things just by looking at this podcast. So I think there's definitely a benefit from it. And especially nowadays, you see job advertisements, people like, oh, we want you to be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, what does that really mean? Does that mean that you're okay if people do things on the side? Or does that mean you just want to leave somebody over here in the corner and let them do their work and expect them to do their work? So I think there's just two different draws of the sword. I think I, I agree with both of you guys on, on everything you said. You know, I, I think there's also a consideration going back to your point. So say in, you're in a scenario where you're uh, actually interviewing, you're a finalist for something mm -hmm. and you do bring up some of these things and you've got a prospective employer that says that's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. There's a pretty strong indication right there. This might not be the right gig for you. 
<laughs> the number of times that I've heard people in a variety of industries talk about the importance of entrepreneurial thinking, and then when you demonstrate it, they are very resistant yeah. to any kind of creative thought process that might actually evoke some change. But I think there's a, a sort of precaution that you need to keep in the back of your mind when you start hearing buzz terms that get thrown out there. There are a lot of B-level managers, right, who tend only to be able to gravitate towards hiring C-level people and below mm -hmm. because that's what they are capable of controlling within their authority structure. A-level managers are, are always looking for A-level players and people who may actually supersede their own capabilities or knowledge in, in roles because if you're an effective leader, then ultimately you are hoping to lead people beyond what you can deliver them, right? You actually want to retire yourself in the process of providing quality leadership. That's a true mark, in my opinion, of, of success as a leader, when your own direct reports have outgrown your need for leadership. And that, that often signals that maybe you're ready for the next level of leadership too. There's that old saying that you're Maybe it's not a saying, some come, having trouble coming up with the exact phrasing that the true evidence of your leadership is what happens when you're not there. Team continue to run. Do they understand that the end goals and all those sorts of things? And are they stepping up to speed? When I hear about an organization or a team that says, we don't know what to do if this person leaves or if that manager leaves because there's no one ready to take over. If you're having to go outside the organization to replace a manager on a team, a team that's been established for any significant period of time, which isn't to say you never do that. Sometimes you want some fresh blood. I'm not saying you don't work very outside, but if you don't have one or two people that are at least solid candidates to replace whatever manager is moving on or moving up, I have serious questions about that manager to begin with. If they'd been there more than a year or two, who are they developing? Who are they leading behind? What was the succession plan? What got done while they were there? And that those are serious questions. And you see it a lot in a lot of organizations. Nobody's ready to step up. Well, but what have you been doing for the last five years? <laughs> if nobody's ready to step up. So that's something I take really personally with my team leadership development. You said it, Brian, I want to work myself out of a job. I want to develop these people so that they don't even need me. I want to get to a point where I'm sitting around staring at my inbox and it's like, employee A is going to take care of that email. Or employee B is going to take care of that one. I'm really not needed here. So no. <laughs> Mortality. Here I guess it's time to move on or move up or find a new challenge. I, I think that sh should be one of our goals as leaders is to really get to a point where we don't even need to be there because we've empowered and, and educated the team so well and hired good people. I think that's an, an excellent point to ride. Don't be afraid of hiring people better than you. You should want to hire people better than you. You should want to hire that person who you think might take your job, not mm -hmm. their backstabber or a small P politician, but because they're good enough and they might do it one day. That's just going to do nothing but make your life easier and show to people above you that you're thinking strategically and that your team can get things done and that maybe you're ready for a higher level. Yeah. yeah. Again, having a quality of trust is, you know, mm -hmm. critical in, in that kind of approach. I, I think there's a phrase that goes something to the effect of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I think that's true at whatever level you're at. If you are truly equipped to be working yourself out of a job, then hopefully that means that you're also prepared to recognize what the next step in your own path should appropriately be. Absolutely.
my son is uh, a lover of dogs, even though unfortunately he's got terrible allergies to animals. So we tend to live vicariously through other people's pets. And one of the programs that, that we enjoy watching together, since we often talk about media artifacts that are influential to us on this program, one that surprisingly to me has some great leadership training in it is all these programs produced by Caesar Milan. Right. Yeah. He used to be called the dog whisperer and, and you know, Caesar Milan, 911, all these different things. But he's got a catchphrase that goes something to the effect of rehabilitating dogs and training humans, <laughs> which I, I think is great because in a lot of these programs, what you start to identify is that the underlying bad behaviors of these animals are actually a reflection of the quality of leadership being exhibited by who should really be the alpha in the pack leader position. And I know we've talked about this in, in relationship to examples in books like by Jocko Willink, where, you know, you take a team and you give them a leader and, and you can start to measure the quality of the effectiveness of that leadership based on the performance of the team and a winning team that's given a leader that doesn't recognize their role as the pack leader suddenly is not performing like the outstanding team that they are when they've got someone who actually recognizes those characteristics. Yeah, I agree. I have, I have my other co-host Lincoln here snoozing beside me. So <laughs> there he is. <laughs> love a good dog in, in the podcast. It. We got him about, <laughs> about four years ago and I, I really dug into the dog training stuff, reading some books and doing some online things. He's not ready to be a service animal or join the local police department or anything like that, but he's pretty well behaved and we've gotten some behavioral stuff worked out with him. And you're so right. There's so many correlations between dog training and, and leadership that, that I've found through reading. It's all psychology and positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, all that stuff. And, uh, so it's a little off from what you were saying, but you made me think about it is that you're right. That leadership thing, yeah, that dog needs to look at you for leadership. It's not one of the things in one of the books I was reading about animal training is that it's, you don't want the dog to just respond to your command and, or to know how to deal with every single scenario, because there's too many scenarios that a car could go down the street or the mailman, or I don't know, and pick a thing, an alarm could go off, whatever. You just want the dog to look to you when that thing happens. That should be the response that, Hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but I know that this guy probably does, or he's going to tell me what to do. So for a dog, that's a really valuable thing. I could see there being a diminishing return for that leadership with people. Yes, you want to be the leader. You want to be people look to in those really tight situations or difficult situations. You want your team to be able to look to you to provide direction or at least stability, even if you don't know what's going on. But I think, and I'm thinking through this, as I say, and so bear with me, but I think that we were talking about learning styles earlier. I learned by talking, so I might disagree with myself. I mean, <laughs> what I'm unpacking here is that it's almost like this maturity model for your team, right? So first, yeah, when we're new and we're all doing a new thing, I want you to look to me every time something's confusing, but as you grow, all right, you should be able to handle that task. And the, to the point where it better be a real crisis or something really new and unique before you need to look to me. And that's not a judgment of the employee or of the person being led. It's a judgment of you again, as a manager, how well have I prepared you for every scenario that I can think of, or at least to be able to think through a new scenario well enough that you don't necessarily need me. Maybe what used to be, Hey, what do I do is, Hey, can I run this by you to make sure I'm thinking about it correctly? And, and then yet you've got it. And then next time you have the confidence to do it. And that was a roundabout 
dog reference there, but I, <laughs> I think it'd be neat to, to talk about some of that. There's some really interesting stuff in, in animal training and human behavior. We're not all that, I'm not all that much smarter than that furry thing sitting behind me. So, yeah. uh, Welcome to the program, John. We are masters of the roundabout. Indeed. <laughs> Sometimes I think she's training me. I'm not really sure. That's the way it feels all the time. Yeah, it, we get we go about roundabout ways, don't we, Brian? It's like, <laughs> yes. like I remember we had Peter Margaritas on, and somehow we talked about shooting him with an arrow or something. Like, wasn't there a whole thing with an arrow or something? I remember there he's was. like, "I'm going to send him an arrow." Yes, yes there was. <laughs> yeah, yes, there was. yeah. On the show. Well, Brian oh, said we... that was the execute part of the show. That's what he said. <laughs> we cover a lot of territory here, John. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> We try to do it with good humor, and as much as we tread like right along the edge of the inappropriate at times. Um, it's a good place to live. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's where all the interesting stuff happens. I see he gets it. That's right. We, we've got a lot more territory to cover in a roundabout way with with you on board. So again, welcome to the program. This is this is effectively now part of our season three, right? As we've shifted into this season-based model. So a lot more to come. We'll have some other great guests that we can uh, continue to thread the needle on the roundabouts with. So keep, keep the curveballs coming. It's part of what keeps the conversation interesting. I'll, I'll throw one at both of you now. It seems like we're, we're winding down a little. I thought maybe it'd be interesting for me to ask each of you, what are you reading this week? Oh. That is a good question. I'll, I'll, I'll take that first. My reading style kind of happens to depend on what's going on. And I've actually been reading This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. For people who aren't familiar with Seth Godin, he's a pretty popular internet marketer. Basically, he came to rise, what Brian, probably who he is, like probably in the early 2000s, he started a blog and it would like literally be a paragraph. Um, but he goes through this whole thing about how marketing has changed from the Don Draper era to what it is now. And it's built on trust and relationships. So it has a lot of leadership principles in it too. That's what I've been reading. Really enjoying it. Maybe a quarter of the way through it. So that's what's on my plate this week. What about you, Brian? Yeah, so I, I tend to have two books going all the time. There's usually one that's related to my professional development and one that's related to my personal interests. It's interesting that you asked this because I just happen to have <laughs> one book open that I've been reading, which is called The Challenger Sale by Brent Adamson and Matthew Dixon. And it's it, it, part of what's interesting about it is we've talked uh, uh, here and there in this episode about the psychology of leadership. And uh, part of the psychology of the Challenger Sale is really to be active in your listening as you're interacting with someone who's a prospective client. And using data, using factual information to upend some of their preconceived notions. And that can come in a variety of, of forms. It's a little bit less about a, a structured approach to what a sales model looks like versus the quality of your thinking and the quality of your listening as you're interacting with clients. And then the other book that I've been reading is called Living with Islam. And it's a book that was written by Brian Geisen, who's of the beat generation. So it's a book that was written, I think probably in the early, like between 1952 and 1962. And, and he was a English born Canadian who, 
who had been in the, the Canadian Air Force and, and then following that had just a fascinating career. He was a participant with the Surrealist movement and he ended up living in Morocco for about 20 years and was a magnet for a lot of the Beat Generation sort of significant personalities, Paul Bowles, William S. Burroughs, even the Rolling Stones, that all gravitated towards that, that region during that era. And because he traveled throughout the Arabic world pretty extensively, he ended up, he was not a historian, he was an artist, and, but he did a lot of writing as well. He ended up writing this thing that's actually a, a really incredible historical perspective on the contributions of the Arabic world and how Islam factors into that. So it's been a, a fascinating read for me. And it, all, the timing of me picking up this book preceded any of the current conflict that's going on in Afghanistan, but it's, it's also been helpful to me just to wrap my mind around something that is pretty unfamiliar territory to me otherwise. And it's refreshing also because, it, it, again, because of the period of time that it was written in, it precedes a lot of the um, sort of sensationalist perspective that the media brings to uh, a lot of the conflict that we've seen in the Arabic world for my entire lifetime, honestly. Cool. Interesting. And, and it's always cool when you, you pick up a book, maybe even somewhat randomly, but but you realize how many tie-ins, especially with, you know, I mentioned I'm a history kind of nerd a little bit, when you can find that, that historical perspective that's helped to inform what's going on today. I, I always think that's an interesting time. What about you, John? You, can, you can't get out of your own question. You, you can't <laughs> get out of... So when I actually just finished, it is, this was not a setup, but it's sitting on my desk. Not <laughs> <laughs> away by Ryan Holiday. It's a book on stoicism, essentially. Uh, decent read, some interesting stuff in there. I enjoy it. And I'm, I'm trying to read a little bit more into stoicism and, and practice it when I can, or at least a moderate version of it. And that this discussion on stoicism has my, my boss is a big Winston Churchill fan. So he's recommended a few books to me. And in, in talking about Churchill, I was reminded of this quote from Churchill about never give in except to what is it? Good sense and, and career honor and good sense or something like that. Don't give in anything else since I'm butchering the quote. Um, so I was reading that speech that he gave, which led to a, a poem by Rudyard Kipling, um, called it. And it's a really excellent poem. So I've been reading that and digesting it a little bit. I heard on a, a podcast from a gentleman whose name I don't even remember about the value of poetry. And I don't read a whole lot of poetry. I don't even read a lot of nonfiction. I'm playing around with some, uh, some more famous poems, seeing just, it'll probably be a fleeting path. <laughs> poem If by Kipling, I highly recommend it. It's really interesting. It's a good perspective on life. So I will not deign to try to recite it here. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I've already forgotten most of the lines, but it's really interesting. So finish the obstacle is the way I also finished the war of art by Stephen Pressfield mm. book I've been doing his chapter wait, a page or two long in that particular book. So I've, I've been reading that about a day at a time for the last couple of months and I just finished that this morning as well. So two, two interesting books and, and a little foray into some poetry that will likely be short lived, but, but it's interesting. <laughs> and that's what I got on my plate lately. Maybe you can add to your, your list of poetry, 100 poems by the Japanese, by Kenneth Rexroth. Okay. It, it'll, I think, tie into your interest in stoicism as well as poetic brevity. 
Yeah. That's actually one, one final roundabout while we're here, while you were talking, Brian, we were talking about history and stuff. Nick, I know, I think you read the book of five rings. I sure have. Yep. Brian, you have as well. I I believe it's from that book that says, when you know the way broadly, you see it in all things. That's correct. Yeah. That's, I was just thinking about that when you're talking about history and the books you're reading and and how you might apply them today. You can really find leadership or whatever your thing is, you can find it anywhere once you, once you learn how to look for it. As you say, when the student is writing, the teacher will appear. That's my roundabout to close it out. No, that's great. <laughs> what a way to conclude. I love it. That's, that's a perfect ending. So then welcome aboard. So if people are looking for you, John, where can they find you, get a hold of you other than this great program? You can find me on LinkedIn. John Abbott, A-B-B-A-D. Otherwise, I am relatively quiet on the other social media forums. I actually tried to not look at those. And <laughs> I think in the first podcast, Nick, you described it as when you make chicken all day, you don't necessarily want to eat it. So we're working in communications. I, I try to turn it off as much as possible when I'm not at work. But I'm, I'm reachable there. I also have john at janitormedia.com for yep. email. I'm the email address that is, is correct janitor.media so. and you're also john at lead exe.com yep. great so uh, yeah I'm, I'm happy to just so you know it. where you can find yourself hey you did check your email to get on this somehow to record so that's winning winning as, as charlie sheen would say right <laughs> Yeah, you can reach me there. And I think I'd also invite uh, your listeners to leave comments and maybe tell us what you're reading in the comments or in the chat on any of this stuff. Um, I think that'd be cool. Start here from our listeners. That's awesome. Thanks, John. Welcome. All right, with thanks. that, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>